Okay, if you want to um, turn in the, the church Bibles, I'm going to uh, do a couple of readings now. The first one's going to be uh, Genesis um, 3, 17 to 19, page 5 of the church Bibles. <clears throat> and the second one is Ecclesiastes um, 1, 1 to 14, which starts on page 670, if you have a church Bible. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And then Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 14 on page 670. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. Uh, to the place the streams come from, they then again return. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never, n- never has enough of seeing, nor the ear has its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what, is will be, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. The teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things and all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless a chasing after the wind. Thanks, Graham. Just pray for Dan before he starts. Father, um, may the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Graham. Well, do keep your Bibles open in front of you as we go through it together. Um, it's an introduction, so there will be a lot of flicking through uh, this evening. Uh, meaningless, meaningless, uh, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Uh, well, welcome everyone to our new series, uh, going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm sure you're all very glad uh, that you've made the decision to come along this evening. Uh, because, well, as you can tell by now, uh, Ecclesiastes doesn't always have the best reputation. Uh, if you want to be encouraged, if you are wanting to be uplifted, then you probably weren't going to be turning uh, to Ecclesiastes. Uh, but do you know, I hope that in this new series, over these next six Sunday evenings, I hope and I pray that that begins to change in our minds. Because, you know, what the book of Ecclesiastes does is it, it strips away all the pretense 
It asks us, can we just be real for one minute? It's an honest, it's an accurate account of how life really is. And firstly, that's a huge encouragement to us because, do you know, many have the opinion of the Bible that when we read it, uh, well, it's irrelevant. Uh, we can't connect with it. The Bible's in a, in a different world, different place uh, to us. And yet when we read through the Bible, when we read through books like Ecclesiastes, actually we're, in, we're confronted with an account of life that actually we can really relate to, that we can connect with on so many different levels. Uh, do you know Herman Melville, who is the author of Moby Dick, uh, he said... Ecclesiastes is the truest of all books. The truest of all books. But also, apart from being an incredibly relatable outlook on life, Ecclesiastes also, as we'll see, is is one that, while sounding incredibly downbeat, actually, I hope as we go through, we see that it is immensely hope-filled. And it actually pushes us to see and to hope on what God has in store for this world. A hope that ultimately will point us to Jesus. What he came to do, as we've seen. And what he will do in the future. And while this evening, this is meant to be an introduction to the fantastic book of Ecclesiastes. And hopefully this evening we'll see some of the overarching themes in the book. And what it's all pointing us to. Uh, You see, you might have noticed in that that first section that there are two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, There is the voice of the narrator, and there is the voice of the one who is called the teacher. And now we hear the teacher's voice for pretty much 99% of the book. Uh, But we do, at the start and at the end of Ecclesiastes, uh, we get the narrator's voice that opens and concludes the book. 1 verse 1, the narrator says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then at the end of the book, in chapter 12 verse 9, the narrator sums it up. And he says, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set out in order many proverbs. Now, we don't know who the narrator is, but the question that most people ask is, who is the teacher? Who is the one that is giving this wisdom? Well, he's described, he's introduced as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Um, And naturally, well, we hear that and we would assume that this is the words of King Solomon, King Solomon, he was the son of David. He was the king in Jerusalem. And he was universally known for being the wisest king in the whole Old Testament. And yet, reading through commentaries and articles, there, is this, there isn't always agreement on whether this is Solomon or not. But whoever it might be, Solomon or not, the important bit is what is being said And what the teacher wants us to go away with, as you heard at the start, he says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. In fact, that word meaningless comes up 31 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
It's probably the biggest theme in the book. The teacher opens up with it and the teacher ends with it in chapter 12, verse 8. And, you know, we hear that word meaningless and maybe as Christians we struggle to see that in the Bible. Because we think, of course, life isn't meaningless. Surely life isn't meaningless. And and surely knowing God gives life meaning. Uh, What's going on here? How can the teacher say that everything is meaningless? Well, you know, it actually comes down to what that word meaningless actually means. You see, the word when translated into English, it carries so many connotations, doesn't it? Meaningless. But I wonder as we go through Ecclesiastes this evening, hopefully we'll see that that word meaningless is more what we would know as fallen. Fallen. Um, You see, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, we see why the teacher has written this. He says, chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. The teacher, he's, he's putting life under the microscope. He's examining everything he sees in the world, everything that this world is made of and goes on. And he's exploring this world And as he's going through Ecclesiastes, actually the world that I think he points us back to is the world that we see in Genesis chapter 3. A fallen world. A broken world. A sinful world. And you know, there are hints throughout Ecclesiastes that this is what is being pointed back to. In chapter 3, verse 20 of Ecclesiastes, the teacher says, All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Now that is a quote from Genesis 3 verse 19. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we know God makes the world, it's beautiful, it's perfect. And yet because of Adam and Eve's humanity's disobedience, their rejection of God's word, well God brings judgment. And actually one of the judgments that he brings is death. Adam and Eve will not live forever. Uh, To dust you will return. And again, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, that quote is said again. Back to Genesis chapter 3. And throughout Ecclesiastes, you know, if we go through the book and we read, there are dominant themes that are repeated over and over again. Uh, One of them is the suffering and the, the meaninglessness of work and toil. We see that, for example, in chapter 2, verse 17. The teacher says, For I hated life because the work done under the sun was grievous to me. Ecclesiastes also picks up the suffering experienced in death and the shortness of life. For example, in chapter 5, verse 16, the teacher says, As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? Since every, since they toil for the wind. There's a theme of death that runs right through Ecclesiastes. And then the third big theme that runs over and over again throughout Ecclesiastes is the theme of God's judgment. Uh, for example, in chapter 3, verse 17, the teacher says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. 
For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. And you know, when we go through Ecclesiastes and we find those three big themes coming up over and over again, toil, work, death, and judgment, well, those are exactly the same three themes that are in Genesis 3. God judges humanity, man, by cursing the ground so that work becomes frustrating to complete. Death, as we've seen, is God's judgment from the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve would no longer live forever in the place that God had made for them. And while judgment is ultimately the big theme of Genesis 3, well, because of everything that I've described, God's judgment falls upon not just Adam and Eve, but humanity falls upon creation as well. Creation becomes broken. Creation bears now the marks and frustrations of humanity's rejection of God. The world is subject to decay. This world becomes fallen. Do you know Romans chapter 8 verse 18, Paul says this, he says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Creation is is broken, it's fallen. And another reason why Ecclesiastes, we see, points us back to Genesis 3 is also because of the name that the teacher chooses to address God as. Uh, You see, normally in the Old Testament, if you go through books, uh, the author will refer to God as The Lord, Yahweh, Uh, you might see that with uh, the sort of lowercase capitals, uh, Lord, Yahweh. Uh, But for most of the time, all the time actually, the teacher in Ecclesiastes uses just the name God to refer to God. And in fact, there are only two exceptions in Ecclesiastes. There are two exceptions, Uh, one in chapter 11, verse 5, and one in chapter 12, verse 1. The teacher says, refers to God as the maker of all things. And in chapter 12, he says, remember your creator in the days of the youth. Both of those names pointing to one aspect of who God is. That he is the maker of all things. He is the Genesis God. The one who has made everything. The one who has brought into being everything So again, we see Ecclesiastes, it points us back to this Genesis story. Even in small ways, where many commentators will mention how that word meaningless in Hebrew is is the word uh, hevel, uh, spelt on the screen. And that word hevel remarkably sounds similar to Abel, as we see in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve's son. And so we begin to build up a picture as we go through Ecclesiastes that the world the teacher is exploring is a fallen world found in Genesis. And that word meaningless carries that theme, that picture of of God's fallen, broken creation. And so what the teacher finds out, what he shows us in Ecclesiastes, is that as he goes through every aspect of life, He sees that everything is covered and tainted by sin. 
Everything is covered and affected by this fallen world. Uh, do you know, I found an illustration very helpful by someone who, who said, uh, who was talking about cleaning. Um, I thought it was very relatable. Uh, not, not the cleaning bit, but, um, but the bit about dusting. I don't know if you ever dust. I, I couldn't get why people dusted. I didn't get why it was so important, but I, I now know that dusting is important. And it's important because dust gets everywhere. I couldn't believe that. Like dust just gets everywhere. Places you couldn't... How does dust get behind that? Or how does dust get under that? And yet it does. It covers everything eventually. And so, young people, you have to dust. I wish someone told me that earlier. But you know, that's what Ecclesiastes, that's what the teacher's observation of life shows us. That actually the effects of sin, it's like dust. It covers everything in this world. It affects everything in this world. And as you go through Ecclesiastes, the teacher finds its effects in work, in life, in death, in relationships, in sickness, in the family, in never being able to be satisfied, always longing for more. Every part of life, Ecclesiastes says, has been stained. It's been tainted by sin. It's not meaningless. It's fallen. It's broken. Everything is fallen. And you know, that's true today, isn't it? I mean, Christians aren't immune from feeling the effects of this fallen, broken world. And we see it too in every area of life. Christians still find, it, still find work a slog. Work is a struggle for most of the time. Work is tiring. Work is frustrating. Work is never satisfying often. Life seems to be full of ups and downs, unexpected events that take us by surprise. Life for Christians still is a stress. Life can be full of anxiety, it can be full of sadness. In relationships, Christian couples still have arguments, struggle to bear with one another in love. In the relationships that we have with one another, we still say hurtful things, often to the people we love the most. We get ill, still. Even the smallest cold can make us feel weak. In the family, I can imagine it's not easy uh, looking after young ones. Uh, Parents still get impatient. Children struggle to honour and to love their parents. It's the reason why we have locks on our doors. It's the reason we have PIN numbers for our bank cards. It's the reason we have Touch ID for our iPhones. It's the reason why we have CCTV. We see the effects everywhere. It's like dust covering this world. Fallen, fallen. Everything is fallen. And you know, not just that, but actually another theme that we see go through the Ecclesiastes is that we also see this sense of sipping salt water. And what I mean by that is that we see that in life we drink but are never satisfied. Uh, Do you know, I was watching a documentary about um, Tyson Fury uh, the boxer this week, and you might know Tyson Fury, he just had an incredible victory, a boxing match, became the heavyweight champion of the world last night. 
And, you know, he was talking about his life. He's got an incredible story, and he was talking about this. And he was being interviewed, and he said this about his life. He said, you're looking at a man who had everything. Acclaim, glory, fame, money, achievements, a family, and everything that goes with it. And he ain't happy. He said, we're made to believe that success is happiness. Very untrue, he says. Very untrue. And you know, there's a sense in which Ecclesiastes points us to the fact where we have, but it's never enough. We're unsatisfied so much of the time with the money that we have, with the house that we have, with the job we're in. We're unsatisfied with the number of Instagram followers that we have. And we have, and yet we always long for more. And Ecclesiastes says that that is a symptom, that is a sign of this brokenness, this, this, this fallen world. It cannot give us what we want. Its stain of sin leaves us dissatisfied, finding it in this world. And yet whilst the teacher in Ecclesiastes shows us life, he shows us how everything affects, uh, everything It's been seen in the effects of sin, how we see the wickedness in life, the shortness of life, the emptiness of life. Actually, the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher shows us that we shouldn't be hopeless in life. We shouldn't be hopeless in life. And that's actually the big thrust of the book. That's the incredible hope that Ecclesiastes points us towards. And it also shapes, as we see throughout the book, how we live in the present Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, the teacher says, He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The teacher says that longing for something more, that thirst that can't be quenched, this world that seems like this can't be it. The teacher says that is because God has set eternity into our hearts. We were made for more. And that's what the book, the teacher in the book highlights. And also, pointing us to the future, is also this theme of God's judgment. In fact, it's how the book ends. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 13. uh, The narrator says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Ecclesiastes, as we saw, carries this big theme of judgment. And, you know, whilst we hear that word judgment today, and we we think of it in negative terms, actually... Having read through the teacher's evaluation on life, seen how everything is so broken and fallen, actually judgment is not bad news. It's great news. This is a judgment where God puts right every wrong. A judgment where God restores everything that is broken. A judgment where perfect justice is carried out and all things are made new. The problem is... As we heard this morning, who could enjoy what God has planned? We don't deserve it. Ecclesiastes shows us that actually all have fallen short. And as we heard this morning, 
the wonderful hope is that actually God has made a way for judgment to pass over us. That is what we've just remembered. He has made a way for us to enjoy life in his presence, to enjoy this judgment of him making all things new. When Christ will bring his kingdom, he's made a way for us to enjoy that through what Jesus has done on the cross, through his judgment passing over us and falling upon the Lord Jesus. So that we might be able to enjoy a world where God rights every wrong. And so what Ecclesiastes shows us, therefore, is that if our hope is in now, if our hope is in what this world and this life will bring us, if our hope is if we chase hard enough and we work hard enough, then we'll be satisfied. If we're hoping and we're trusting in politicians and policies and political parties to fix everything that is wrong, well, Ecclesiastes says that is meaningless. It is fallen, it is broken, it does not last It's like chasing after the wind. We're not made for this. It will not happen. What Ecclesiastes and the teacher points us to is to not put our hope in now, but rather in what's to come. God has set eternity into our hearts. He will bring judgment. He will right all the wrongs. Christ will one day be revealed. He will make all things new. He'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more suffering, no more death. It will be banished with. And this fallen world will be restored. Do you know, I want to finish from the rest of, we we quoted from Romans 8 earlier, but I want to read the final bit of that chapter from Romans 8. Paul says this, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have... But, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That we have a glorious hope that is to come. That's the world we're made for. That is the world we long for. That is the world Ecclesiastes shows is the world we should hope for. And that's the world Ecclesiastes says God, through Christ, will one day bring. Well, we're going to have time where we can uh, discuss a few questions around our tables. Um, enjoy that. They should come up on the screen behind me. Uh, do take time to answer all of them or just one of them or to uh, progress as discussion leads around your tables. But let's spend this, these next few moments around our tables discussing those questions. Thank you.